Amen. I love that song. Appreciate that so much and the truths that are contained in it. Service is a little bit different tonight. We've got some of our folks out uh, with illness and things like that. I appreciate Joseph being willing to f fill in on the piano and, and uh, Brother Justin to lead the singing. That was a blessing. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 tonight. I'm not going to have you stand just due to the nature uh, of the message. It's going to be a little while before we really get into uh, the text that we're going to be reading in a moment. And then we're going to be kind of bouncing around a little bit. So the message is just a little bit different this evening than what we may be typically accustomed to. And I mentioned this morning that... Uh, I, I'm wanting to share some things from the scripture that I think are going to help us in regard to the days ahead uh, as we all adjust to the newness of our situation. And I think that's important because uh, we have, of course, just gone through a, a transitional period and now uh, that transition has been made. Pastor Smith has retired and now I'm the, the pastor here and and I think it would be foolish of us, uh, as smooth as this has gone so far, I think it would be foolish of us not to recognize that there are going to be some growing pains in the days ahead. For all of us, it's an adjustment. And anytime you go through major changes, there are adjustments. And I think it best to try and prepare for those adjustments and even some of the potential um, tensions or friction, maybe I could say, uh, that, that we, we can expect is going to take place. Now let me say at the outset that I do not uh, know of any existing problems, and I'm not even trying to predict that there's going to be some kind of disunity or anything like that in the days ahead. I believe that the Lord has helped us to this point uh, with uh, the, the changes that are taking place, and I trust that he's going to continue to help us. But with that being said, I do think it's important for us to recognize that in any situations where there are changes, and changes are, are being made, that, uh, that there are some growing pains, there are some uh, just adjustments that have to be made. Whenever I counsel uh, couples that are approaching marriage, uh, one of the things that I talk to them about is you, you might really look ahead and, and have this idea of living happily ever after, but fail to realize that really the first uh, period of marriage, and maybe even the first few years of marriage, uh, can be a little bit of a struggle. And, uh, and not, not because uh, of anything other than it's different. And you've now, you're joining two lives together and and, and people that have come from two families with different ways of looking at things and different traditions and, and expectations and all of those things. Now you're merging these two lives into one and there is always some adjustment that goes along with that. And so I, I try to kind of set expectations at the outset and help them communicate and work through, you know, foreseeing some of the potential dangers that lie ahead and working through them before they become a problem. And so the, the intent and the, the desire in this, and I hope you'll understand my heart as we look at some of these things, probably not only tonight, but even in the weeks ahead, 
as we talk about some of these things, I am not coming from the standpoint of someone who's on the defense or someone who sees a problem and I'm trying to fix a problem. That's not what we're doing here. What we're trying to do is just be aware of the reality that all of us are adjusting and, and, and try to deal with this as best as we can according to the word of God and let him lead in the days ahead. So before we even really get into the message tonight and the things that I believe that the Lord has for us, I want to just make a few considerations before we get into this. And some considerations that I think are going to kind of guide us as we keep these things in, in our consciousness and we stay aware of these things in the days ahead. First of all, we need to remember that God's timing is always best. God's timing is always best. And for all of us here, we have been preparing for this time for some time now. Um, I talked to Pastor Smith about the fact that he uh, was praying for a number of years, several years, five years, or somewhere in that neighborhood of, of, of exactly when God's timing was for him to step down and to kind of make, make, take that next step into the new phase of ministry. And so he prayed about it for a long time and then brought it to the men of the church a couple of years back to ask you to begin praying about this as well. And while all of that was taking place here, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were also sensing that the Lord was leading in something else. And after wrestling with the Lord for that uh, for some time, and when I say wrestling, not fighting, but just trying to understand, Lord, what are you doing? Uh, we came to the conclusion that God was leading us on, that I was supposed to pastor somewhere else, and, and we didn't take that lightly. We sought a lot of counsel and prayed about things and really sought direction from the Lord and even explored carefully some different potential opportunities, but the Lord hadn't opened those doors, and so we just waited. And, and we're really waiting on the Lord's timing. And I'll tell you from my standpoint, that period of waiting seemed like a long time. And it was a struggle for us. And I've also heard from some of you, not in a negative sense, but just in a, in a very real sense, that the announcement that Pastor Smith would be retiring came as somewhat of a shock and it seemed too soon. And it just felt uncomfortable. You know, like this isn't what we want. And by the way, that's a good thing. It's a, I think it's a good thing when a pastor retires and people aren't cheering for it. You know, it means that things were going well. Praise the Lord for that. But while on one side it may have seemed like it was a long time and the Lord was holding back, withholding his answer. On the other side, it seemed like a shock. This is coming so quickly. I think all of us can recognize that God's timing is best. And he knows exactly what we need and when we need it. And when I study the scriptures, I, I find a principle that oftentimes when there is a significant leadership change, it's because the Lord is leading his people into the next phase or the next stage of life and ministry. I used the example last week of the transition between Moses and Joshua. And there are several things that we need to remember about that. First of all, Moses was not Joshua. 
and Joshua was not Moses. They were two very different men. They had different leadership styles. They had different personalities. But you know what? God told Joshua, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. And that was what mattered. It wasn't the man that mattered. It was God and his presence that mattered. And we need to remember that as well. But his timing worked in such a way that what they needed for 40 years wandering in the wilderness is they needed a man like Moses, who was meek, who had learned how to deal with sheep, and be patient, and patiently guide them, because that was the phase of life that they were in at that time. And when it came time to bring them into the promised land, God put another man in place who had a slightly different leadership style than Moses and was maybe a little bit more assertive, we could say. Because they were entering a phase where they were going into the promised land and conquering. and th So all I'm saying is this. God chooses the right men for the right time. And his timing is perfect. What I mean by that is this. I believe that God has something great in store for us as a church. And that's not to say that he couldn't have done that under Pastor Smith. Obviously, you look back over 41 years, and God did mighty things under the leadership of Pastor Smith. But I just think it's important for all of us to recognize and remember that God's timing is best. That's the first thing. Secondly, we need to remember that God cares more about this church than any of us do. God cares more about Mount Zion Baptist Church than you do or I do. This is a church that Jesus died for. He gave himself for it. He cares about it, and he knows what we need. And because God cares more about this church than you do or I do, I have absolute confidence that he's going to take care of us. And he's going to meet our needs. Fourthly, let me say, it's important to never forget our history. I think it's really tragic when we look at, in our nation, for instance, the direction that we are going as a nation is... I, I put a lot of blame on the fact that the current generations that are alive have no real understanding of our history. They don't really understand where we came from, why we are what we are. They don't understand the intent of our founding fathers. They don't really understand uh, the, 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 the spirit and, and, and the heart of the people of the, the greatest generation in World War II who were willing to lay down their lives and fight for freedom because they believed in it. And so many of those things have been thrown out, and our society is, has actually painted a dark pic picture over our history as a nation. And as a result, we are going in the, total, the opposite direction of what we ought to be because we've forgotten our history. And I think it's important for us as a church to remember that as well, that God has worked among us through these years, and we ought never forget where he has brought us from and how he has worked among us. But the opposite side of this coin is, though we, we need to be careful never to forget our history and what God has been doing, I think there's also a danger in that we need to be careful not to live in the past. 
And when I say we, we need to be careful not to live in the past, I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand, I am not saying we're going to cast off everything we were and we're becoming something different. That's not the case. That's not the case. We're going to stay true to the word of God. We're going to keep focused on reaching the lost with the gospel. We're going to stay true to our convictions and standards. We're going to stay true to biblical preaching. We are who we are, okay? But when I say that we, we have to be careful not to live in the past, sometimes we get into a rut because we think that things always have to be exactly the same as they've always been. And that's not necessarily God's will and plan for us. Life in general is about growth. The Christian life is about growth. I'm thankful that I am not who I was 10 years ago. God's been working on me. And I hope that's true of you too. You can say the same. God's been at work. But I think we, we need to be careful also as a church not to allow God to continue working on us and growing us. So we need to remember our history but not get caught uh, living in the past. And so those are a few things that I think are, are important. But here's the, here's the biggest thing. Our primary concern needs to be not what do I want, but what does God want? Now, I understand that by the standard of everyone who's here, I'm the new guy. I get that. I also understand that some of you have been in this church for many, 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 many years. But I'm going to say something. Please don't misunderstand my intent. You have no more ownership of this church than I have. And I have no more than you do. Because our ownership stake in this church is zero. This is not your church or my church. This is Christ's church. It belongs to him. And so our primary concern and consideration in all things must be, Lord, what do you want? In all things, Christ is to have preeminence. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the one that is to be leading in what we do. And so with that in mind, we need to be yielded and submitted to him and to his guidance We all have things that we are accustomed to. There are certain things that this church has done for many years, and you're accustomed to them. We've always done it this way. And I want you to know I respect that, and I understand that. And I want you to understand, too, that while I'm new here, I'm not new to church life and I'm not new to pastoring. And there are certain things that I'm accustomed to and preferences that I have. And one potential area of conflict I could see becoming an issue at some point is this. If either one of us feels that we have to have things our way. Because what really matters is doing things God's way and letting him lead. 
And so I'm asking from you for some patience and grace as I seek to lead according to God's will. I have strengths, but I also have weaknesses. And I'll let you know, if you haven't found some of my weaknesses yet, it won't be long. I am ever aware of them. And I'm probably more aware of my weaknesses than you are. I have strengths and I have weaknesses, but I want to ask you for grace and patience. And with that, let me say this. By God's grace, I will do my very best to give you grace and patience. As we adjust to one another. Because I have strengths and weaknesses and so do you. And that's one of the interesting things about church life is a bunch of imperfect people trying to serve together. But if we let our perfect God have preeminence, he can make up for our imperfection. So those are, and I hope you understand, again, my heart in this. This is not an attack in any way. This isn't me trying to, you know, bulldoze over anyone. This is me just trying to be honest about the reality of the situation we're in and recognize there could be, if we allowed Satan to have his way, there could be things that could become problematic, and I don't want them to be. I want to let the Holy Spirit be in charge. Amen? So with all of that said, let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The book of 1 Corinthians is about really some problems that had arisen in the church in Corinth. There were all kinds of issues. There were sin issues within the church that were going unaddressed. There were doctrinal issues. There, they weren't practicing the ordinances correctly. Uh, there, there was a, a, a spiritual weakness there. The people weren't growing. They were babes in Christ. There were just problems in the church. But one of the greatest problems of the church is that there were divisions among, among the people. And I want you to notice in verse number 10 of 1 Corinthians 1, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be, listen to these words, perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Now, verse 13, he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the house of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Here's what he's saying. There, the division in the church was primarily over this fact that some of the people, they were identifying with different spiritual leaders. Some were, were saying, I am of Paul. I'm a Paulite. 
I am a follower of Paul and his teachings, and, and man, what a great leader he is, and, 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 and I want to be like Paul, and I want to follow Paul, and someone else says, well, I'm kind of more of an Apollos guy, and I tend to relate better to Apollos. I like his teachings. I like his style. I like the way he does things. And then someone says, well, I'm kind of old school, and Paul and Apollos, they're kind of latecomers to the game, and I'm more of a Cephas. I'm more of a Peter guy, you know? I, I, I go way back. And then someone else says, well, I'm more spiritual than all of you because I'm a follower of Christ. Amen. Here's what Paul says, is Christ divided? The answer to that is obviously no. There is no division in Christ. And by the way, those who are serving Christ are not trying to, to, to gain disciples for themselves. They're trying to point people to the Lord. My, my desire for you is not that you would look to me as some great leader, but that somehow that I would be able to help you look past me and see Christ. Because if, if I can't do that, if the best that I can do is win you to me, then I have made the, the cross of Christ of none effect. That's what he's saying here. I want you to know Christ. You see, God's purpose and desire for his church is that we would be perfectly joined together, that we would dwell together in unity, in harmony with one another. That's what God wants for us. If you go over to chapter 3, we're in 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 3, verse number Let's go to verse 3. For ye are yet carnal, he says, for Whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Look at verse number 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. He's trying to say you need to stop dividing over your loyalty to man and unite around the reality that you belong to God. Do you know that that is our common ground? That is our common ground. I've, I've said before, and, and I, I say it frequently, we're all different, and some people are very different. But every one of us who knows Christ, we have something in common. And it may not be that our interests and hobbies and even our politics, okay, that, it's not those things that bring us together. Those things don't unite a church. If, if we unite around commonalities in our ethnicity, if we unite around commonalities in our political views, if we relate around commonalities in our, our, our hobbies and our interests and our family, all of those things, if, that, if that's what unites us, number one, we're going to be very divided. Number two, we're not really a church, we're a social club. 
But what unites us is a common bond that we have in Christ. That we are in Him. That we have the same Spirit. There is, according to Ephesians 4, one Lord and one faith, one baptism. That's what we have. We are unified in Christ. And God expects us to live and dwell together in unity. Go with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms. Psalm 133. Psalm 133, a very, very short psalm, only three verses long. It makes this statement, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. He makes a statement, it's a, good, it's a good thing, it's a pleasant thing for brethren to dwell together in unity. But he uses the word first, he says, behold. Behold means to look upon it. And what he's going to do in the next verse is he's going to paint a, a picture, a visual illustration of how God views unity among his people. Here's what he says. Verse 2, it, unity, dwelling together in unity, it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. Now you might look at that and say, what in the world is that? That's a kind of an odd picture and, and maybe even one that isn't the most appealing thing in the world. But what he's referencing here is when Aaron was anointed to be the high priest over Israel, in the sight of all Israel, he was anointed with oil. That oil was poured over his head ran down his face and, and even onto his, his garments, and it covered him. Now, oil in the Bible is a picture. It's a type of the Holy Spirit. And really what was happening there was before the eyes of all the people, there was a, a symbolic anointing that was taking place that was showing the people, Aaron is the high priest, and he has the Spirit of God upon him. That was a beautiful picture, wasn't it? The psalmist says, when brethren dwell together in unity, that's what it looks like. In other words, we could say it this way, I think without doing any damage to the scriptures, if we want the presence of the Spirit of God, we need to be unified. We need to be unified. Go over to the New Testament again, Acts chapter number 2. Acts 2 was that day of Pentecost, that powerful and mighty working of the Holy Spirit of God among his people there in Jerusalem, that day that 3,000 people were saved and baptized, added to the church there in Jerusalem. And the very first thing we read of the day of Pentecost was not the filling of the Spirit. It wasn't the speaking in tongues. It wasn't the salvation that took place or the powerful preaching. Here's the very first thing that's mentioned in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they, that is the church there, they were all with one accord and in one place. That was what preceded the mighty moving of God. Perfect unity among the brethren. All of these things take place in Acts chapter 2. These people are saved and 
And it's just a mighty thing that God did there. And we go down to verse number 42, and it says, And they continued, these are those who joined themselves with the church there, went from about 120 people to about 3,120 people in one day. And it says, And they, verse 42, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Listen. The mighty moving of the Spirit of God upon the church at Jerusalem was preceded by unity among His people, and that unity continued in the days, months, and years beyond. Folks, if we want God to work among us, we've got to be together. Not just physically, not just bodily in the same place. We need to be on the same page. We need to be together. Unified. God works when his people are unified. And the opposite of that is also true. That when there's disunity among his people, the spirit of God often does not work. Ephesians 4 and verse 30 tells us, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. We're to grieve him not. And the very next verse says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. What is he saying? Don't grieve the Spirit of God, but be unified together. Show grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. I believe that God wants us to be unified so that he can work. And I believe Satan wants us to be divided in order to hinder God's work. And so my request for you is that we pray together for God to keep us unified, and that we strive together that God would keep us unified, that we actually work at this. Because anyone who has been in a relationship for any length of time knows that relationships don't come without effort, do they? A marriage isn't usually a blissful thing if there's not effort and intention that goes into it. And the same is true with church relationships. There's effort involved we need to strive together for that. I mentioned that I, I, I intend to discuss this subject in future weeks from the Word of God, but I want to bring you over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And 1 Corinthians 13 is that chapter, that, that love chapter in the Bible, the chapter that talks about charity, true biblical love. It's something that's commanded. And I just, I, I want to say this, as we seek to and set out to be pleasing to the Lord in the area of unity, can we determine in our hearts, here and now, 
if you haven't already determined this. Determine in our heart that we're going to love one another. It is a decision, by the way. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. We need to determine that we're going to love one another. Here's what 1 Corinthians 13 says about love or charity. Verse number 4, charity suffereth long. It's long-suffering. I mentioned a moment ago, but we need to commit that we're going to be patient with one another. Things don't quite go the way that we want or think they ought to. Let's be patient. Let God lead. Let God work. Charity suffereth long, secondly, and is kind. Let's be kind to each other. Now, kindness is great when everything is going smoothly, but when there's a little bit of friction, it's a little harder to be kind, isn't it? Let's show kindness. Determine in our hearts we're going to be kind. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up. In other words, if we're acting in love, we're not going to be trying to put ourselves in a position where we're going to be recognized. Verse 5, doth not behave itself unseemly, and this one, seeketh not her own. Let's determine that we are not going to be self-willed, but that we're going to be fully yielded to the will of God. Is not evil easily provoked. Let's determine that we're not going to be soon angry. James 1.19 says, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Some of us struggle with this more than others, but sometimes if something rubs us the wrong way, the first thing we want to do is fight back and bite back. Let's be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Let's determine that we're going to approach every situation with humility. We're not going to be puffed up. Then I want you to notice this one, and this is very, very important at the end of verse number five. The last three words, thinketh no evil. Thinketh no evil. I can't tell you the number of church problems that I have witnessed that really come as a result of evil thinking. Just an assumption that so-and-so did this or said this and they must have had some kind of an ulterior motive or some kind of Uh, malicious intent. But that's not a loving way to treat people. If we are going to be guided by charity, we're going to give the benefit of the doubt. I want to ask you to give me the benefit of the doubt. I want to say, here and now, I have no ill intent for this church whatsoever. I want... I I would ask that the Lord would remove me long before I would ever do harm or damage to this church. I have no ill intent. That doesn't mean that I won't make mistakes. But please know, I'm not trying to mess things up, okay? 
And I promise you that I will do my best to give you the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes when we think evil of someone else, they said something, they did something that didn't sit right with me, the first thing that happens is we start going over in our mind why this person uh, would be doing that. And, and, uh, and, and, and we can start thinking evil thoughts. But folks, if we're going to love one another, we need to not. Let's give the benefit of the doubt. Let's just assume the best about each other. Determined to love one another. And then secondly, let me say this. We need to commit to communicate with one another. How many issues could be resolved or prevented if people would just communicate? Tom Godet is one of my favorite missionaries. I have a lot of favorites. One of the things he's famous for saying is communication is a wonderful thing when it happens. <laughs> but sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes the failure to communicate is it really creates misunderstandings among people that could be resolved if we just talk about it. Let's just talk face to face. Matthew 18, what does it say? If thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If I do something that upsets you or doesn't sit right or you've got a question about why, can I ask you to do me a courtesy? Come and talk to me. Let's talk about it. And I'll try to do the same for you. Now, that doesn't, it doesn't say go and talk to other people about it. It says go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Let's talk about it. If there's a need, let's talk about it. Let's communicate with one another. I quoted to you Ephesians 4, 30 through 32 a moment ago, but it says, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Now, I, I am okay with, in fact, I would ask you to speak to the Lord about me. Pray for me, and I'll pray for you. Talk to the Lord about me. And if I'm getting on your nerves or doing something you don't like, talk to the Lord about that. And I would invite you to talk to me about me. Feel free. If you have a concern, if you've got a question, listen, I'm, I'm open. I, I'm glad to talk. And I'll try to do that for you. So talk to the Lord about me and talk to me about me, but don't talk to others about me if it's negative, <laughs> please. And I'll strive to do the same for you. We can give the courtesy of communicating with one another. And if I can say this as well, and, and my wife has no idea that I was going to say any of this tonight that I've said, and, and this part is no exception to that. Something I would ask for the sake of my wife and my family, if you do have a problem with me, something I've said, something I've done, don't bring that to them. Don't unload on my wife about that. A pastor's wife carries burdens and weights, and she doesn't need to hear everything. You know, I see myself as a protector of my family, and I would much rather carry the burden than have that unloaded on 
my wife or my children. And so if there's a concern, seriously, come talk to me. I am not, I am not above or beyond correction. And, and if, I, if I mess up by God's grace, I try to apologize for that and make it right. But don't, don't talk to my wife and expect her to correct that. Because all that does is add burden to her. And it really doesn't solve the issue. And so let's just commit to communicating with one another. And by the way, I'm not accusing anyone of doing that. Again, this is preventative. <laughs> I just think these are things that we need to remember and consider. A lot of problems could be resolved if we just talk. Let's just talk about it. We can sit down together and, you know what, we can disagree. You can disagree with me and I'll still love you. I will. And if I disagree with you, I hope you'll love me too. Because that's, that's what we, that, listen, we're not here for us, we're here for him. And we're imperfect and we're sinful people. And by God's grace, we are what we are. So let's love each other, let's serve together, let's commit to put God first, his word first, and let's follow his leadership and seek to be unified in the days ahead and let him lead. Amen? Amen. We're not going to have a traditional invitation tonight, but here's what we are going to do. We're going to pray for our church. And we're going to pray that the Lord would just have his way and would lead. And that we would follow his will for us. And so if you want to come to the altar and pray, I invite you to do that. If you want to stay there in your seat and pray, that's fine. But let's just take a few moments and just talk to the Lord about our need for Him as we navigate these days ahead. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you tonight. A very needy people. Lord, we need you. We need you in the decisions that we make in the this world that we live in and try and serve you in, Lord. We, we just, we need your help. And as a church, Father, we're in some uncharted territory for most of us here. And we thank you for the way that you've worked among us and moved among us and led us this far. But Lord, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices and that he would desire that we would be divided. Lord, I thank you that to my knowledge we're not divided here tonight. I believe that everyone has the same desire and the same heart. But Lord, we know that there are things, it's amazing how quickly sin can get in and, and Satan can get in and evil thinking can get in and start to cause divisions among us. But Lord, we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. 
We want to see you working. We, we, we want to experience your power and your hand and your leadership and guidance. And so, Lord, keep us right before you. Keep us yielded to you. And help us, Lord, when someone wrongs us or hurts us in some way, to remember that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Lord, would you help us to love you? And in loving you, may we truly love one another. I pray, Lord, that you would keep the lines of communication open between us. That we wouldn't hesitate to talk to one another. But, Lord, that we would just be honest and forthright and, and, and work together to, to strive, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace within your church. And Lord, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the future holds in our nation or in our world or for this church. But Lord, we know that you know and you're in control and you're on the throne. And so Lord, we, we submit to you that we, we, we know that you are the one who knows the way ahead. Help us, Lord, to submit to you and yield to you and your will that we would put the word of God and the will of God above our own desires or ideas or plans. And Lord, would you lead and guide and direct. And Father, in these days that we live in, these dark days, I just want to pray, Father, that you would use Mount Zion Baptist Church to be a voice for truth in a world that is so lacking in truth. To be a light in a dark place. Help us, Lord, to stand with boldness and courage and proclaim the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word of God. Lord, use us to bring forth much fruit. That souls would come to know Christ as Savior. That lives would be transformed for the glory of God. And Lord, keep us faithful and true and our light burning until the return of our Savior. Lord, for your glory, and in the name of your Son, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your attention tonight. Thank you for praying with me. And in the days ahead, I want to ask that you would pray with me about these things. I want you to know I love you in the Lord. I care about you. I care about this church, and I believe that God has great things ahead for us if we'll stay yielded to him. But about the time that we start to get in the flesh and try and have things our own way, we're going to hinder his work. So let's stay yielded and submitted to him. Amen. It's been a good day so far in the Lord's house. I want to encourage everyone to remember... In prayer this week, those who we've asked you to pray for, uh, specifically, uh, please be praying for Victoria tomorrow as she goes in for an appointment uh, to get some tests run and figure out what's going on. Just pray that the Lord would 
would guide and direct in that situation and uh, just give, give comfort and peace to her and Brother Bill as they, uh, as they deal with the situation. Also be praying for the carpenters as uh, they've got this very serious uh, procedure coming up, or Jordan does, on Tuesday. They're going to be going into St. Louis tomorrow to the hospital, getting her checked in, running some tests, and just getting prepared. And then first thing, basically, Tuesday morning, they're going to be doing the procedure, which is a, a C-section, and then some other um, surgical procedures uh, for Jordan. And so just be praying uh, for that. There is concern about potential complications, and, and uh, it's a very serious matter. So if you would just remember over the next couple of days to be praying for the carpenters in that, I know that they would really appreciate that. Uh, with that being said, what I'm going to do at this time is anyone who is not a voting member of the church, I'm going to ask you to be dismissed. And we love you. We're glad you're here. Uh, voting members are those who have been saved and scripturally baptized and have joined with this church. If you were baptized here, uh, you're a member here. If you were baptized in a church of like faith and have officially joined